Before we dive into today's episode, we want to issue a gentle heads up that the content discussed may contain sensitive or triggering information. Our aim is to foster an open and honest conversation about important topics, but we understand that certain subjects can evoke strong emotions. Please be mindful of your own well-being while listening. If you find that the content discussed resonates with personal experiences that may be distressing, we encourage you to prioritize your mental health. Feel free to pause, skip, revisit the episode at a time when you feel better equipped to engage with the Material. Additionally, if you or someone you know is struggling and in need of support, consider reaching out to mental health professionals, helplines, or support networks available in your region. Our intention is to create a safe and respectful space for dialogue, and we appreciate your understanding and consideration as we navigate potentially challenging subjects. Thank you again for being a part of the Blueprint community. Welcome to the Blueprint Podcast, where we throw out the old blueprint so you can become who you were always meant to be. I'm your host, Jason Smith. And if you haven't already, make sure you click the subscribe button and share this podcast with your friends on social media and tag me in it at JaybirdFit. Today, I have a very special guest for you, AK Dasani, a former deputy sheriff turned mental health advocate for our dedicated first responders. Having served on the front lines, AK witnessed experience personally the toll that the profession can take on the mental well-being of those who selflessly protect and serve our communities. Transitioning into a new chapter of her life, AK founded Lifesaver Wellness, a platform committed to raising awareness about mental health challenges faced by first responders. Through engaging social media campaigns, thought-provoking online newsletter, and impactful coaching sessions, AK is on a mission to help first responders beat the burnout that often accompanies high-stress, high demand professions. As a dynamic public speaker, AK shares her personal journey and sheds light on critical issues of burnout within the first responder community. Today, we'll explore AK's insights, experiences, and the strategies she advocates for building resilience, fostering emotional well-being, and creating a culture of self-care among our everyday heroes. AK, welcome to the show. Thank you. The one thing that I admire about you is your desire to help others. And the fact that you're putting your focus on first responders, I think, is absolutely amazing. And it's an obvious place to go to, having been a deputy sheriff yourself, to help them out. I think it's one of those spaces that's severely underserved in terms of mental health awareness and overall wellness. We get hit with, we have... EAP programs, and that's good, but there's this barrier and this wall to that and this stigma that's attached to all of that, that if you go down that road, then there's something wrong with you. And now everybody's talking and gossiping and trying to figure out what's happening with this person and why are they having this experience? And it it just goes down a really negative path. And we get stuck in the middle of policy, procedure, and public safety. There's this expectation that you're going to show up. You're the protector. You're capable. You have all of the skill sets that we've given you from day one. You have all of these capabilities. And where it's true in that you're able to hit all these different marks in all these different places and excel in all these different areas, there's this mental health aspect that is just untouched by the community. We don't dive into it enough and we don't have enough empathy and compassion for the experiences of others. And I have a friend and she's a trauma researcher. Her name's MC McDonald. She wrote the book, Unbroken, The Trauma Response Is Never Wrong. One of the posts that she had most recently was that your nervous system is what decides what is trauma, not other people, not society, not clinical psychologists. 
It's how a particular event was experienced by your nervous system. And it's not a competition. I think for so many of us, we get in a place where so many other people have it worse than I do. They've been through tougher things. And so we diminish ourselves. We make ourselves small and we push it off to the side. Then we find ourselves with these maladaptive coping mechanisms that are extremely unhelpful across the board. So with all that being said, I really want to hear about your story, how you got started and what brought you to helping others combat burnout. Yeah. So first of all, I love that quote because that is spot on. And I think that's where we miss the mark a lot. But to give you a little bit of my background, I started in law enforcement when I was just 19 years old, did a couple of years of undercover online investigations. um, And that was while I was doing my undergrad for criminal or yeah, criminology and sociology. And I went to the academy when I was 20, finished out my degree, became a deputy sheriff, did that for a few years. And there's a lot of overlap with different positions and whatnot. But 2015, I was officer of the year and I got that. I was awarded that on Valentine's day of that year. And by September, I was in a spiral and had a completely crispy burnout. I was experiencing severe depression, PTS, adrenal fatigue, and suicidal ideation. And I had a very tough decision to make and I had to, it it was me or the job. And I am proud to say that I chose me was not easy. I stayed on as a special deputy and then I picked up an auxiliary position just to keep my certifications active in case I wanted to go back. But I became a criminal court victim advocate and I did that for about five years. And during that time, because my nervous system was primed and conditioned to go and this full-time job and planning a wedding wasn't enough. So I decided to go back and get my master's degree in criminology with a focus on victimology. And much to my surprise, all of the things I was learning about as far as trauma and what victims experience was also what I had been experiencing. And I thought, I'm not a victim. I was a cop. Like, it's not the same. And as I dove deeper into it and I started really learning how to heal myself, I became a yoga instructor, uh, meditation specialist, took all kinds of classes and certifications. I realized that it doesn't matter what the source is. It matters, just like that quote, it matters how it imprints into your system. What is an overwhelm to my system? And then I also discovered that when I came into the job, I had unresolved trauma that I didn't even really know what that was. There was no awareness there. Like I said, I started in at 19 years old, but at 17 years old, I lost my lifelong best friend to suicide. So I go from 17 and experiencing a, a tremendous loss in a traumatic way and not really having processed it because life goes on, right? Two years later, let's just go into one of the most chaotic jobs ever. And I'm still, I'm not even 20 years old yet. It really, it really shows how we get primed and conditioned for one thing. And at that point, our threshold is changed and it's adjusted. And we have to, we feel like we have to maintain that. And it's really hard to downshift from that. 
And that's what I was learning. That's what I ended up learning how to do in healing myself. And so at that point, I, I left that job in 2020 for a lot of different reasons, the advocacy position. And I took some time off and I formed Lifesaver Wellness and I gathered all of the, my knowledge and my years of experience and packaged it up and pitched it back to my first responders. And that's what I'm doing now. I coach and I train at agencies and I speak all over the country and I'm just having a good old time on TikTok and on podcasts. So <laughs> no, you're doing a really good job with it. Like I said, I found you probably about a year ago. That's really when I was starting to push out more content and doing some new stuff. I like that you've niched down and you've picked a certain group that you're going to help and something that you're passionate about, something that you've been through, something that you've experienced, and, and it makes you extremely relatable. Now, the one thing that I'm really curious about is what brought you to this place of awareness that one, you were experiencing burnout, and then did you backtrack and try to figure out like, when did this really begin? Because I think so many of us, we find ourselves in that place where you're working day in and day out, you're doing doubles, you're working 16 hour shifts, you're getting called in, you got to go to court eight hours, less than eight hours after your shift ended. And so you're in this place of all these different experiences and things that are going on. And there's never really that time to sit back and just process and go through it. Like I said, we find these really eloquent solutions to the problem and it looks like maladaptive coping strategies. And so I'm curious what brought you to the awareness of what you were experiencing. So at the time when I ended up making the decision to leave, it everything had just come to a head. It was, I could see that my job performance was suffering. I could see that I would come home and I lived alone with my dog, of course, but I, I was just a shell of myself and there was just this moment of realizing that the person that I was when I showed up to work, I not only did I have to put on armor and a uniform, I had to put a mask on because that was not the same person that was sitting on the couch an hour be before that. And I think a lot of us experienced that, but it was to such a degree that it was hard. It was so hard to keep up. My body was shutting down. But little practical things that I would notice, I was having a really hard time writing even the simplest reports. Like my brain, the brain fog was just, it was thick. And I was forgetting, I was forgetting gear at home. I would clean my gear or whatever, and I'd forget to put it back in my bag. I was extreme, I had daytime fatigue constantly, but then I would go home and I couldn't sleep. And it was just this cycle. And it came to a point where the intrusive thoughts of harming myself or trying to figure out how to make it look like an accident were too frequent and too loud. And I thought, I'm no longer helping anybody because I'm not fully in this. And yeah. so I was scared that I was going to make a big mistake and get myself or somebody else hurt. And I probably let that go on for too long. But when I left, I didn't tell him why I left. <laughs> I said right. I was going back to school, which I did do, but that was not at all why I left. And I didn't have a backup plan. It was, this is life or death. And I, I, I had to choose life. 
it's such a hard place to be and this overwhelming feeling of fear, anger, frustration, isolation, sadness, loneliness, feeling unloved, unsupported, and not feeling like you can approach anyone else and to ask for help and to feel like you can just reach out. You feel like you're drowning. Yeah. And at that point, did you reach out to a therapist or a counselor? It took me a few months after that point. And I actually, I went to my primary care doctor because I was like, I don't, again, I don't know what's wrong with me. Like I, I felt like I was losing my mind. Like I was having a, a, a mental breakdown and they, they gave me a prescription for some kind of anti-anxiety something or other. Yeah. And I never even filled it, but they, what they did do was give me two weeks off from work. And I was like, okay, like we can. And so that I ended up taking that as my two weeks and I just never went back except for to clean out my, <laughs> clean out all my reports and all my gear. And there were a lot of questions, but I think the one catalyst was I had just started dating my now husband and I finally felt like I had some real support. And that, that was one major thing that moved the needle for me to stay. How did you get support from your now husband? What did that look like? Was he empathetic? Was he aware of what you were going through and what you were experiencing? Were you communicating any of this to him? So initially, it's funny because he talks about it now as initially he was like, yeah, my girlfriend's a badass. She's a deputy sheriff. And it was well, like a novelty. Still a badass, by the way. <laughs> well, yeah. thank you. But he, it was like a novelty. And then like little by little, as I started to open up and he started to see me coming home after shifts, he was like, something, like something's not right here. And he just asked me and I'm like, yeah, it's, it's a hard job. And I, I didn't know how to open up about it. I didn't have the words. We didn't, this was 2015. We weren't talking about this stuff yet. Maybe a little here and there. We um, also do this thing where it's, I signed up for this. You didn't. And I'm not exactly. bringing this home and putting this on you. This is for me to deal with. And my home life, I want that to be relatively good. Not right. real, not realizing that when you build that wall, when you put that barrier up in front of all the people that care for you, you're isolating yourself from receiving the love, the compassion, the empathy that they're prepared to give you, as well as that co-regulation of your nervous system. So we're literally pushing all of the things away that could potentially be helping us in that moment, thinking that we're protecting them from these negative experiences and the intrusive thoughts and, and the pain that you're actually going through. Yeah. And, and one day we were just talking about it and he just looked at me and he said, no, you don't have to live like that. And I was like, wait, what does what that do you even, mean? <laughs> <laughs> huh? There's an alternative way. Like I, and it just never occurred to me because I was, I just felt like I was so underwater for so long. And just like you talked about, like you, you just get into these patterns and you get into these trenches of just in the grind every day. And I just couldn't even, and it was like a, like the clouds parted. And I was like, huh, come again. 
And you mean he, I don't have to sit in the driveway for 15 minutes before I come into the house? I still do that, by the way. But <laughs> yes. <laughs> old habits, right? <laughs> yes. Old habits die hard. But yeah. And it was just like that little like seed that was planted. And I was like, huh? Okay. And it was him letting me know that I've got your back where we can get through this together. And I was like, what does that look like? Because I, I moved away at 18 years old to go to college and lived alone like that whole time with the exception of a dorm and an apartment with other girls or whatever. But yeah, so that was a major catalyst for me that just gave me a new way to see things. But uh, up until that point, I didn't, I think I was in denial about how bad it was because of the shame that is surrounding. I should be able to handle this. I should be tougher than this. I, again, I signed up for this but it you also don't have you didn't sign up for suffering there there are ways to mitigate there are ways to move through it with more ease yeah you don't have to live in a self-imposed mental prison and that's ultimately what it ends up feeling yeah. but the path is to get around other people to let them in and I'm, I'm curious what other coping mechanisms or new strategies that you found through this process that helped you navigate all of this. So many, but I want to touch on again what you just said. <clears throat> Yesterday, for example, I was with a group of girlfriends and I said, community is healing. Yeah. And I said that and I looked at them and they've all known me for more than a decade. And I was like, who am I? <laughs> did, did I really just say that? Because I had this lone wolf complex for a long time. And yeah. then I was like, oh, wow, who, who have I become? But it's so true. Community is healing. Some other things, um, being brutally honest with myself in a non-shaming way, that alone opens up a whole new world. It opens up a, a new level. Understanding the nervous system yeah. has been a major level up in my world. Understanding that everything that my body is telling me, everything that my brain is telling me is precisely how we're designed. It, there's nothing wrong with me because I feel jittery after right. a call. That, that's adrenaline. Like that's exactly how we were built and there are reasons for all of it. And so that's why when you hear me talk about PTSD, I say PTS because I don't believe that it, there are, we can argue the logistics of all of it, but right. it's, I don't really believe that it's a disorder because it's exactly what our bodies were designed to do when we are experiencing an overwhelm to our nervous system. Learning how our nervous system works and how we can work our nervous system, if that makes sense. So how we can control that when we get this major adrenaline dump, instead of releasing cortisol, how do we change the direction our body's going in and release serotonin and dopamine and endorphins instead? And one of the major ways is just proper breathing. Yes. Acti I, I was just going to say, because a lot of times this is what it looks like for training. You have a nervous system. Cool. Right. 
thanks. <laughs> yeah. And and then it quickly shifts into this is how you breathe like a Navy SEAL. And then you find out that they're talking about box breathing. And it's just like it's yeah, box box breathing, right? It's actually mm -hmm. a really great tool. And for those of you who are unfamiliar, it's just simply in through the nose for four seconds, then you hold your breath for four seconds, exhale for four seconds, hold for four seconds, and repeat that for as many times as you feel is appropriate in a seated position or lying down, you're not doing this while driving or near water. That's the caveat, right? Do it <laughs> in a safe place because there is the potential. Yeah, you could faint. Other things could happen. But we're doing this because it helps you move from that sympathetic state, that fight, flight, freeze, fawn or flop into the parasympathetic of rest and relaxation. And so that's a power that you have with proper breathing techniques. And there's all different kinds that you've never experienced before. You haven't heard of because you haven't researched it. You haven't looked at it. It hasn't even been a thought in your mind. And how do I know this? Because I was that same person that was just like, I know something's not right. I need to figure something out. And I fell into some of this other stuff that was like, ah, okay, this makes a little bit more sense. Nervous system. Got it. And that is the bridge where I find that people, we talk about sympathetic, parasympathetic, and they're like, okay, cool. I got to breathe. I, I breathe all day long. And then we use the words like rest and, and relaxation and, and things like that. And I think in the first responder world, we go, oh, that's already for lost like, me. yeah, that's yeah. like for Sunday afternoons. I, I I can't get soft. I get soft. I get dead. And here's what I have to say to that. If you are so hyper vigilant and you are only in your survival brain, you are not tactically sound in that moment because you're going to get tunnel vision. Your breathing is going to be so shallow. You're going to, you're going to black out your, your blood sugar spiking. Like your body is completely overwhelmed in that moment. When you learn how to control it, you become more tactically sound. Your prefrontal cortex that has all of your logic and reasoning, it comes back online when you start to control your nervous system and how it's operating. That's going to make you more self-aware. It's going to make you more situationally aware. Is that a word? Such <laughs> yeah. And at that point, you're a more tactically sound responder because yeah. you're able to bring yourself back down and actually go through the motions, but grounded in the moment and not just on the surface going through the motions. Yeah. Explain for us what hypervigilance might look like both on the job, but also in our personal lives and how that might be impacting the way that we think, act, and feel. Being very edgy, being very irritable, rigid, yes, very black and white thinking. <laughs> There's always one on every shift that is, is always looking for a fight. You show up on scene, you've got things calmed down, and so says, I'm around the corner, and you're like, disregard, <laughs> I don't want you here, yeah. right? But their emotional home is, let's go. <laughs> Yeah. Yes. And at that point, and not really able to, like you said, rigid, so not really able to see or consider that there are alternative ways of thinking. Very, the obvious is like paranoid, always just scanning and looking and scanning and looking, can't relax. But sometimes the can't relax looks like stoicism on the outside because we're so good at masking it. So sometimes you get the guy that just is, is a stone wall 
all the time. And inside he's, he's got a whole circus and a mariachi band going on and he's just like checking everything out, but he's masking so well, like a duck, like on the surface, it's just chill. And underneath he's, he's paddling for his life. And I feel like this is something that happens because you don't come on the job that way. Not necessarily, right? There's aspects of this. You come on the job with a certain amount of trauma, things that you've experienced throughout your lifetime, and you may or may not have identified those things throughout your life. A lot of people come from the military and have their own experiences as it relates to that job and that career path. We find ourselves in this place where that dial of empathy has just been dialed all the way down. As the years go on, that dial just keeps turning down further and further. And it's more of a protective mechanism, which again, it's an eloquent solution. I don't like what I'm feeling. I'm experiencing all these things that are happening around me in my environment, in my sphere of influence all the time. And so we just pull away ever so slightly. And it becomes this place of avoidance where you're detached and you're dysregulated, but you don't know that's the word of what you're experiencing because you've never heard that word before. We don't use it. It's not common speech. That, and when you are in survival mode, your prefrontal cortex is completely offline. Your prefrontal cortex is where words are born. So you literally cannot access the words to express what you're feeling. And if you're detached, you're not really feeling it anyway because you're totally numbed out. So it's so hard to break through those walls initially. And I think for some, they're like, yeah, I'm just going to stay this way. Screw it. I don't care because they don't see the benefit because they they have that that rigid thinking. Those are the same people that will say, I feel alive and I feel good when I'm at work, but outside of work, it's, it's boring. It doesn't, I don't, I'm not feeling what I feel when I'm at work. And that's because you crave that adrenaline dump. You get to the place where it's, I need to do these things to get to this place. And then I start to feel good and I start to feel regulated and I even feel happy and euphoric for a little bit. But again, Mm -hmm. all of these things are short lived. And as the years goes on, it actually takes a massive toll on your body on your nervous system. And it leads to so many other things that are unintended health issues, high blood pressure, like you said, high cortisol levels that that's why we see officers when they get to the place where they're ready to retire, their health is generally struggling. Oh yeah. Yeah. And it's so interesting. We, that drop in cortisol or that cortisol drop, the adrenaline dump, it feels a lot like dopamine. So we literally get addicted to it. And I liken it to hitting the internal slot machine because we find we're on our day off and all of a sudden we're like, wow, I'm really, I'm bored. And my body's like, I need to go hit the slot machine, right? I need to go to the casino. Then we start looking for fights. We start looking for stress. We start. So that's where that hypervigilance comes in at home. Oh, what was that noise? I I better go check it. And then next thing we're doing like a full building search on our own house. And it's, We look for things to give us that same feeling, but not all dopamine hits or cortisol drops are created equal. The source matters. And that's where when you can start adjusting things and how you're treating your vagus nerve and your nervous system, you can find other ways to get those dopamine hits. You can find other ways to get that same feeling without creating havoc in your life wreaking havoc on your body and your nervous system 
and you can actually move the needle in the opposite direction and create a more healthy, sustainable life with better connections because community is healing. Again, I'm still shocked that I just said that yesterday. Just a testament to how far I've come. But it's, we don't dive into it enough. I think a lot of air in a lot of areas, we're still stuck on the awareness. And I think the awareness is fantastic. We still need that. But (laughs) can I give you an example of that real quick? Yes. Yeah. So everybody learns, hey, guys, it's okay to not be okay. But what's step two? Does anybody mm-hmm. know? We walk around saying, hey, I, I recognize, I see you're struggling. I see you might mm-hmm. be experiencing something. You've been a dick lately. There's some other things that are going on. <laughs> Have a Snickers bar. You're a bit of a diva, whatever it is. And we recognize enough to say, hey, you know what? It's okay to not be okay. It's okay to ask for help. And then what's the next step? We're so out of touch with one another because mm-hmm. we have our own stuff going on. We have our own experiences, our family, our problems, our issues, our concerns. And we don't have the emotional capacity to then take on whatever this other person is going to give us in that moment. And at some degree, it's not your job. At the same time, we have to be aware of one another and what each other is going through and experiencing so that we don't put ourselves in a place where mistakes happen and then they become much greater than and could have been prevented. What is the next step after that? Yeah. And that's the big question because it is a little bit different for everybody. For some people, and I think people get a little bit annoyed when I go this route, but for some people it's regulating your diet, drinking more water, moving your body, because these are little peripheral things that are snowballing your mental state and making it worse if you're not taking care of yourself because your nervous system is a part of your body. And so we have to, but all of these things are talked about so often that I think people think that they are, or or they just get overlooked and they're undervalued, but they, there truly are so many reasons. There's so many reasons to drink water for for your mental health. And it's wild. Maybe not don't have the whole pot of coffee, right? Maybe you just have 10 ounces and and then switch, switch to water. Right. And for the sake of all that is good in this world, stop drinking monsters. Like, I, they're I was, so I was bad add for that you. In there. Yeah, it's like just oh one after another. And the garbage I, can gets filled so much. Yeah, it's, oh my God, how do you do that? And I get it I, because I was that person that was like, let me go to McDonald's and get a coffee that looks like a milkshake with yeah. all the sugar and the cream and everything yeah. because it made me feel good for a second. But then I had that sugar drop on the back end of that. And I was like, oh, I don't know why I feel like this. Okay, let's connect some dots here. So I think some of it is just nervous system literacy and understanding your body and your brain and the connections. And some of it is there are people walking around with decades of unresolved trauma and decades of chronic stress that just needs to be offloaded. They just need a safe space. And I know people are going to cringe when I say safe space. And an ayahuasca journey. Some leggings, some drums, some chanting. Just go to Costa Rica for a weekend. (laughs) You'll be fine. Like (laughs) A little bit of psilocybin. Everybody's doing it. (laughs) And I I know that people are going to cringe. But truthfully, you need a, a space or a person that has the ability and has the capacity to hold 
your trauma and say, I got you. You're human. You didn't have to experience that. And I'm sorry that you did, but let's work with it. What can we do? Can we put it down? Do we need to categorize it and alphabetize it first? Do we need to make sense of it? Or is this something that we can just say out loud, make it real, and then put it down? And and everybody's going to be a little bit different. There there are a lot of step number twos. Yeah. Talking, just the peripheral, getting your body right. And, and then step number three for them would probably be chatting with somebody or journaling. I know, again, yeah. we both another thing. About that. I'm big on it. Right. It's, it's... And, and, that, and people were like, oh, you want me to journal? Uh, okay. Yeah, do. do you want to feel better? Do, do you want to feel better? Because these are the things that are actually scientifically proven to work. Meditation is a huge one. I bring clients in and they're like, oh, I don't know how I feel about this meditation stuff. And then I show them brain scans. And then I show them the studies of how there are measurable differences in your brain after consistent meditation over a few weeks. Yeah, no, and they're too, like, too woo-woo. I'm not doing it. It's woo, but it's act, It's science. Right. And, and that's where they're like, oh, and I'm like, yeah, it's irrefutable. And, but you know what? Not every, that can't be step two for everybody. Right. Sometimes that's step six or seven, because if your nervous system isn't regulated enough for you to even get to a place where you feel comfortable connecting to your body, right? it's going to, it's not going to work. And that's it how looks- take a walk with me was born. My, my big catchphrase has turned into and unexpectedly, by the way, this is just something that people started to like. I said it a couple times and they're like, oh, I love taking walks with you. It's so relaxing and informational. It's really about learning to manage your mind, your thoughts, feelings, and emotions. And so sometimes if we can't get to a place where we can relax enough to sit in a meditative state and look, everybody, your mind's going to wander. That's the point of meditation. You're going to go to all these different places. You're going to go back and forth and you're not going to feel like you're doing it right but you are. That is the experience of meditation, especially when you're a beginner. And over time, like any other skill, when you learn it and you hone it, you get better at keeping things at bay. But for those of you who are just hyper anxious at this point, getting outside, moving your body, throw on a rucksack or don't. It's up to you. I like it. I enjoy it. Feels good for me. It's great for your body. One thing I realized with rucking is as you go up in weight, your core actually strengthens and your posture gets better. And that sciatic that you used to have an issue with no longer is a problem. So mm-hmm. just a thought for those of you who have <laughs> some hip issues and other things that are bothering you, but it's just another part of that is there's also a thing called a walking meditation. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know I was doing this at the time. I was just, I just recognized I'm dysregulated. I got to figure something out. And when I'm out walking, Whenever I see a sign, I have to read it. So in my head, I'm saying the words. And so part of that was, okay, I'm going to eliminate everything that's in front of me. I'm only going to focus on the horizon. I'm not going to look at any house numbers or signs or anything like that. I'm going to literally just focus on my nasal inhale in, nasal exhale out, and just focus on nasal breathing to get me through through my walk. And I would do that for three, four, five, six miles. And it's now turned into six to 12 miles a day. But what an amazing feeling that is 
to know that you can create the emotional resilience within yourself. You can give yourself the tools, the skills, and the abilities to navigate your nervous system in such a way that you can bring your, yourself to a place of homeostasis, that you can bring yourself into your parasympathetic nervous system. And you just have to recognize that's a power that you have. It's not woo, but it is a skill that you have to learn. Or don't. It's always up to you, but it's like when you do it and you see the benefits of it, it's holy shit. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. This this makes sense. I'm going to keep doing that. As a matter of fact, I'm going to learn more about that because this is cool. And then Mm -hmm. I want to share it with other people. And as I share it with other people, hopefully they lock onto it too. But there's so much, it's almost like we're in this place of defensiveness all the time. If I present you as an officer with a tool that can help you physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually, and I phrase it like that, there's this automatic wall of resistance that's, yeah, no, I'm not doing that. That that doesn't make sense to me. And so I'm curious, how can we break through that wall? I don't want to say, unfortunately, but a a lot of times the pain has to be greater than the resistance. Yes. And so often that it's just not there. People are they're just not willing to change because what they're doing is still working, even if they're hanging on by a thread. And it's when it gets to a point where nothing is working anymore, <clears throat> that's when we start to recognize, okay, I, I need to, I, something's got to give or I'm going to be in in deep shit here real soon. Actually, one of their strategies that they use currently has to fail them to such Mm -hmm. a degree that it moves them past their emotional threshold for pain. And you get so good at dealing with pain because we're all little people pleasers. We grew up in, in that era. Do as you're told, do what's expected, show up, don't embarrass me, all this other stuff. And so you carry this stuff with you. And so you have a really good tolerance for this emotional pain. And we wear it like a badge of honor. Like I, I can handle anything. I'm good with chronic everything. And you beat your way through it until it no longer works for you. And you actually take that one step over that threshold. And now you're like, what do I do now? Mm-hmm. And, and that's where the breakdown happens, unfortunately. And I've, I've had people sign on with me and as you know, far as like client coach and they get into one or two sessions and they're like, yeah, I don't know. And I'm like, okay, if you're not ready, it's not going to hit, it's not going to stick. Right. And three, four months later, they come back and they're like, I'm ready. Like yeah. <laughs> I've had enough. I want off this roller coaster. I don't want any more of this. And, and that's when they're like, they're all in. They're coming to sessions, taking notes, and they're mm-hmm. like, give me all the things. And that awareness, that introduction, and then the way that you present it is just disarming. And and so you get this information, all of a sudden you're like, it's uncomfortable. I don't <laughs> like it. I'm not listening to this. This is bullshit. And and then you run away from it and then yeah, it does take a few months. You start thinking about it and then maybe you, because social media is what it is and they know what you're Mm -hmm. looking at, right? They start feeding you some other things and maybe you see something on breath work or you see another police officer giving mental health awareness advice and all this other stuff. And you're like, yeah, maybe I should go back to that. Maybe I should start looking into this a little bit deeper. Yeah. And that's where I try to, especially with my TikToks is make sure that I can make it relatable. But bring the science into it, give you the why behind the just do this, because I've I've literally I've sat through so many trainings where it 
it's here's my story and here are the seven things that you need to do to get better and it's cool why do i need to do those things and they're just left with no no real substance in any one of those things to move forward and try it and that's where i was like no we need to dig down into the nitty-gritty why is this working why do people keep saying time and time and time again to journal or to meditate or to move why let's dig deeper and as type a people i i think it's important that we know the why because then you can connect the dots and you're like huh maybe i'll try it and i'm like you know what if i can get you to a maybe let's rock and roll all day long and if you're open and honest and willing let's try and see where it goes but you have to really be at a place where you're willing and not just going through the motions because your wife told you to yeah i mean (laughs) no for sure (laughs) you have to be willing and consistent that yes yes because we get these tools and we'll do it for a week maybe a month and it's yeah i'm not getting really the benefit from this it might take you six months to a year to really see the effects of journaling and and what that means for you. The one thing that I use with my clients is I use field notes. What are field notes? What does that look like? You're on a a crash scene and you got date, time, environment, weather, what's happening in the moment? What are the road conditions? What did everything look like? Who am I with? What am I experiencing? What am I going through? What emotions am I feeling right now? And we break it down to such a degree that now all of a sudden there's no denying okay, I've put down on paper, this is what I'm experiencing and all these different locations and all the all the emotions that I'm feeling in this moment. And I've identified where I'm feeling them in the body. And I can start to make sense of, okay, but why am I feeling this? And, and then mm-hmm. when you get to the why, you're like, ah, oh. and it might have nothing to do with anything you've done on the job, anything that you're currently experiencing. You might just find that what you're experiencing right now is actually from five years ago. 10 years ago, mm-hmm. 20 years ago. Yeah. And it's all this stuff that's unprocessed that we came onto the job with that we didn't learn how to process at a younger age. And this brings me back to when we first talk with therapists. One of the biggest issues that I've seen is they'll talk about therapists in a way that they haven't gone through what I've gone through. They don't know what I've experienced. They haven't seen the things that I've seen. And there's like this anger that is ever present in in that statement. And what that is, is ego. We have to recognize that, number one, you can interview your therapist and see, get on a discovery call, talk to 10 or 15 different people and see which one's going to be right for you. The one that's going to be a good fit that can help you navigate the things that, that you believe that you're currently struggling with. And there's nothing wrong with doing that, with finding somebody who you think can relate to you in the way that you need to be related to. But to say that they don't, We often go, they've only ever read it in a book. Okay, but they have one thing that you don't currently have. They have the the empathy Mm -hmm. to be able to sit with you and be present in this moment with you. And no, they might not have gone into that room and experienced what you experienced or been on that scene and saw what you saw. But they can put themselves in your shoes enough to be able to relate to you, to connect with you, to co-regulate with you. And that's really what we need in that moment is that eye contact and that belief that somebody has my back and that they're listening and that they're present 
and that they want to hear my story and that they're willing to be there for me and allow me to go through this in this moment. And it goes back to that's that safe space that we're talking about. And we all have a stigma attached to that, but I don't know any other word other than you're co-regulating, right? Yeah, in, yeah. In, in that and moment. We, we know what that means, but yeah. a lot of people don't know what that means. But it, that's just it. You get into, when you go into therapy, and I'm actually, two days from now, I'm going back to therapy because I got some more stuff that's coming up. And, and I really am a big proponent of it, even though I'm a, a coach or whatever, I, I'm not dissing on therapy ever right. because you get into this container Maybe instead of safe space, it's a container. We'll try to, I don't know, maybe it's an ammo box. We'll call it whatever, but it's a, a container. Yeah. We'll just call where, it the, the interview room. Sure. Like, there you go. Great analogy. Yes. Yeah. And so that per, the person on the other end is, is able to put their stuff aside because this is what they do for a living and they're able to receive what you're saying without any bias attached without any judgment attached they may never have been punched in the face like you have but they have the ability to be fully present with you in these moments and let you feel your stuff without getting uncomfortable because it's one thing sitting around a fire having a beer with your buddies can be super healing but it can also it also may not have the same effect as being in the interview room with your therapist and being able to have that person support you in that way well, where there's, there's absolutely you'll, you'll no never say to your friend group. Exactly. You exactly. Just don't say it. But there's a lot of people that don't say things. There's things they won't say to their therapist either because yeah. it's so deep seated in their shame bubble. And that's one thing that I've found as I, continue to go through the levels of healing when I was able to just get rid of this shame bubble and not uh, judge myself all the time. It still happens because we're human, but man, that one, that level, that layer bursting through that one was a, a big one. And I think that's where I would love to see all first responders get to just this area where we're not constantly inundating ourselves. Like we're you're not in the academy anymore. You don't have to ridicule every single little move. And I know people are going to say, this is a high stakes job and there are lives on the line. And I completely agree with that. But the grammar in your report doesn't warrant you <laughs> like berating yourself for 20 minutes on your ride home because you worded something the wrong way. That perfectionism is strong and it is brutal. Yeah. It's absolutely brutal. And I know that that took a weird turn, but <laughs> no, I mean, that self-judgment and criticism is extremely difficult because you do hold yourself to a higher standard in a lot of different ways. And so when you find yourself in a place where maybe you lack the tools or the skills or the abilities, or you should have learned something by now, given your time on the job and the experiences that you've had, you should know this, but there's also a lot of things that we forget over long periods of time yeah. and you learn a bunch of stuff. You forget a bunch of stuff. A lot of stuff changes yearly for that matter when it comes to legislation and other things. And so you find yourself constantly learning and relearning and shifting. And again, you're holding yourself to that higher standard and we don't allow for a lot of mistakes. And 
the reason for that is, is exactly what you said, is it is a high stakes game and those mistakes can get you hurt or others injured as well. Well, yeah. And I think that some people think of therapy as if I need somebody else to support me, then I'm not strong enough. There's something wrong with me. And they internalize it. That's the ego, right? It's coming all the way around. And it's no, that doesn't mean you're weak. It actually is, it's going to strengthen you because you have support, you have more backing, you have somebody, a a new extra person in your corner and, and in a different way. So I'm a big proponent of it for sure. No, I have categories that I talk to my clients about. It's physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual. And through all of those things, ultimately the financial tends to repair itself in that process when you got the physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual. And for spiritual, it's going to look different for everybody because we all have different beliefs and we don't have to go down that road necessarily. But through all the interviews I've done with just countless people at this point in the entrepreneur space and their belief systems, when I talk to them, they all have a belief in something higher than themselves. And I find that to be so interesting that I've actually shifted into my own journey at this point. I, and again, I'm not saying anybody has to go and do this, but I'm, I committed to myself that I'm going to do the Bible in a year just to be able to learn and do something new. I'm in this place of curiosity and expansion. I went down the road of discovering Wayne Dyer, Joe Dispenza, all all the spiritualists. I've done the meditations. I've done the breath work. I had the holistic psychologist on the podcast last week. So I've had all these different people that I've had these experiences from, but I haven't experienced fully going through that spiritual conquest and, and looking at that through the lens of personal development and all the books that I've read. And so it's really interesting that I've fallen into this space now. And as I go through it, I'm just being hit with all of this stuff from my past, from emotional challenges, physical challenges, different experiences. And it's really like the perfect personal development book, because as I read through (laughs) and I, I get hit with this stuff, some of it's hard to understand, admittedly. And then you get to this place where it's okay, this is what I'm taking from it. And then I read what I wrote. And I'm like, that's actually, I should make a video on that because that's actually really good. <laughs> you yeah, know? Yeah. But, but it's really coming home to yourself is the way that I explain it to people because yeah. you're getting to this place where you know yourself in all of those different categories that I just said. And you develop a better sense of self, who you are, where you're going, what you're doing, why you're doing it. You become more confident, competent, and capable in living your daily life in a way that leaves you feeling anti-fragile. You've developed the tools you're capable in so many different ways, and now you can show up as the best version of you, the most capable version of you. And that's really a gift that you give to everyone around you, everyone in your sphere of influence. If you're confused on what that is, that's the 15 feet around you, like the Sims, that little bubble that's around you, that you impact people each and every day. How you show up for them impacts their lives. When you're living a life that is fully yours, and again, you know who you are physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually, they get to experience that of you and you show them what is possible for them. And that's a gift that you give to the world. So when people meet you and they give you some problems online or they give you those negative comments, you have to continue to shine that light and to bring Mm -hmm. awareness to people and to let them know, no, I'm AK and this is what I do and I'm here to help because this is important 
And I'm so confident in the space of what I'm doing. And I know the benefits of this. And I, I want you to have that experience as well. But come to me when you're ready. I'm not going anywhere. I'm here to help. And, exactly. And that's yes. a very beautiful place to be. And it's why I admire you so much for what you're doing. Thank you. And you know what? It's interesting. <clears throat> in all of the personal development work I've done, every single time that I have explored, I went down a very path for a while. I'm, I am a certified Reiki master two times over. I, um, I, like, did I am <laughs> like, I, I went very low for a minute and yeah. I did had all the crystals and the oils and all the things every single time unequivocally, no matter what, I always come back to God as my anchor. Yeah. And it, it doesn't, and not maybe that's not going to be the case for everybody but for me that is my anchor that is my steadfast that is my always i got right here always it's ready to go always but and for those that maybe didn't see that that's my bible uh, <laughs> but yeah. i for those who are listening yes last year my my little mantra for the year was to get out of his way yeah I was pregnant at 35 years old and they were telling me it was a geriatric pregnancy and I'm like all these it's words whatever but right. I just had so many things going on and I was just on this I was just on the cusp of this little breakthrough with my career and I'm like and then I'm going to have a baby. Here we go. And then I moved in to a new house the day before I had a baby. And so thank goodness at the beginning of the year I was like you just get out of his way. Let him handle it. This year I'm diving a little bit deeper and my mantra is use me. Lord, use me wherever you think you, I, I need to be. Put me in situations and give me opportunities where I can serve you and be a light for other people. Whether they know the whether they know what's going on backstage or not, maybe if it's just something to give them a glimmer of hope. Right. Um they don't need to know all of it, but just use me as a vessel for you. And, and that's where I really try to come back to that often because people can be very cruel. I just had a comment the other day about safe spaces. Yeah. Go back to your safe space, second responder. And this was on TikTok. And I was like, okay, love you yeah. too. And I just have to laugh at that point. But that is that the higher power thing. It's, it's gotta be for me, at least it's unwavering. It goes back to the criticism and judgment and ultimately the shame that you have to navigate and you put on yourself. And when you realize that a lot of what you're experiencing is bigger than you and yeah. a lot of the burden that you experience and that you put on yourself is bigger than you, that you have to learn to release that surrender submit and to let that go. And th these are all things, like I said, it's taken me years and I don't encourage people to do what I did. I got obsessive. I took the deep dive. I, everything I was listening to was constantly audiobooks, YouTube, whatever I could get my hands on. I just completely shoved it in my brain. Picture Neo in the matrix plugging in and like downloading, I know jujitsu. <laughs> and it's just, but I was so hungry for answers and tools and things that would be helpful. I'm so glad that I did that, but I don't encourage other people to do that way because it's extremely overwhelming. But when you learn to release and surrender and to give it to God and to let it go, 
what you find is you can be more present with yourself. You're more present with others. You're in this space of trust, which trust is something that comes really difficult, right? It's something that we don't just give freely to other people because we've got all this evidence for all the reasons why people aren't trustworthy. Sure. And this is why I always encourage people, make sure that your top five people are the people that you trust, that you care about, that are in support of your highest good, that they want to see you win. They're not in competition with you. We have a lot of people in our lives that see you more as competition and they're good to you until you're doing uh -huh. a little bit better than they are. And then all of a sudden there's this little bit of backlash and what feels like misunderstanding and it'll leave you confused and frustrated. I always tell people, make sure that the people that you're with are supportive of your highest good. They're not in competition with you and they want to see you win. That's the type of people that you want to have in your life. So for those of you who are out there and this is resonating with you, take a mental inventory of the people that you spend the most time with and ask yourself, are they in support of your mission, your vision, your goals, your values, your standards, and how does it make you feel being around them? Yeah. And I would also say for those that are untrusting, we can't, we have lots of evidence of why people are not worth trusting, but we can't apply human standards to a spiritual God. We can't, lots of evidence why people are not good. And a lot of people will say, if God was so good, then why did he let this, that, and the other happen? We don't know those answers. And that's where the faith comes in. We, we, we're, there's a lot of things we're not supposed to know. Just when you work in law enforcement, you realize there's a lot of things that go on behind the scenes that the public doesn't know. There's a lot of reasons why we can't share things because it's going to compromise the integrity of an investigation or it's going to reveal too much. And at that point, we need to be like, okay, let's trust what's going on here and have the faith that it is going to work out in the end. And we're, we're going to have to endure pain. It says that in the Bible. Can't get away but, from it. And, yeah. and I think that's where it's ever you present. Know, people are also trying to, they don't like safe spaces, but boy, do they like their comfort zone. <laughs> oh, the, <laughs> you know, and, and it, it can be so damaging being in that comfort zone because you have all of these maladaptive strategies and things that you're going through, but because it's what you're used to and it's what you know, and you're comfortable with it, you're like, eh, I'll just keep doing it. Not realizing that it's within your power to actually make that shift. You can change, you can develop, expand, grow, and become different. But on the other side of that is a ton of uncertainty and you don't know what happens next. And then we think, I don't deserve what happens next because if I do this thing and I become successful and I step outside the box and I do something completely different and that separates me from everything that I've ever known or have ever experienced, then I'm going to be alone, isolated and lonely in that. And it's no, that's not true. You're put here to grow, develop, expand and become different and do new things and to learn. And as you do that, you elevate, you raise your vibration, you become more capable and competent in different areas of your life. And there are stages that you go through where, yeah, it is lonely. However, when you raise up or rise up far enough, and I think both you and I are in this position right now where we're ready to take that next step, what ends up happening is new people automatically come into your life. And you're sitting here going, how, how did that happen? And it's because... <laughs> you had to become the type of person that could resonate and connect with them. And then your field of vision begins to open up and you begin to allow in 
these new experiences. And this is something that's been going on for the past two years for me as I continue to bring new people onto the podcast and develop these new friendships. And with that comes a certain level of confidence as well that, okay, cool. Well, if I can do that, then I can do all these 20 different things that I want to do as well. And Maybe I'm not good at all 20 of them and I settle on one, <laughs> but you have this capability within you that you can do that. And that's for everybody. That's not just singled oh, yeah. out to any one particular person. You all have greatness inside of you. You just have to recognize what it is and tap into it. And in order to step into that new identity, you got to let go of the old one. And Ooh. that's the tough part. Tell because, us about that. Because you can be lonely as you move forward and as you level up, or you can be lonely because you're a miserable asshole and nobody wants to be around you. <clears throat> Let's just be real. Right. So it's pick, pick your heart, pick what do you, what do you want to level up? Is, is it, is the pain of being mediocre and miserable bad enough that you actually do want to level up? And by the way, you're not mediocre, but if you're miserable and you think that you're mediocre, then that's how you're going to show up in the world. So you have to take the leap and think of like a trapeze artist or whatever, or trapeze or I don't know, trapeze person. They cannot grab on to the next one until they let go of the other one. And then there's the fear of falling. Where are you going to fall? You're going to fall right back to where you were. You're not going to fall off of the cliff into a, another black void or something like you're just going to come back to where you were, but with more knowledge and more understanding of where you need to head and what path you need to be on. You can't grab onto something new if your hands are full of your old identity. And it's it sounds very abstract, but you have to really let yourself step into that 2.0 version and stop identifying with your past struggles. So a lot of us say my depression, my adrenal fatigue, Oof. my chronic illness. Yeah. I'm just XYZ fill in the blank, right? I that's just am. the way that's yeah. just the way I am. And it, you have to say, okay, you, you literally just start right now and, and change the way you speak about yourself. The depression that I have experienced in the past my the, the adrenal fatigue that i had previously the whatever it is stop identifying with it and identify with new things i am healthy and this is where affirmations come into play and people think that's super woo woo as well but you're literally changing the neural pathways in your brain it comes it back to the science every time and yeah, read some david goggins guys if you haven't already because yes. he does the i forget what he calls it accountability mirror yeah i think is what it is yeah uh, words matter whether you believe oh. it or not and yes, so that, words. That, that dialogue, that story that you have, that you keep telling yourself about your life and your environment and the where you live, you can tell a good story or you can tell a negative story. It's always going to be up to you. But on that, I think this is a really good place to shift into, and this will be the last thing that we cover, is over the past few years, a lot of police officers have left the job for a lot of different reasons. What would you tell them? Because we get back to identity where they're struggling with, this is who I've always been. 
this is a big part of my life. And now I'm transitioning and doing something new. I'm doing something different, or I don't know what to do because my skills don't translate to anything. What would you tell that person to boost them and put them in the right direction of recognizing that, you know what, actually you have a lot of skills. You just have to identify what those are. I would quote Dolly Parton. Okay. Find didn't, out didn't who, expect that. <laughs> I know. I, I love a good curveball. Find out who you are and do it on purpose. Yeah. If you were a law enforcement officer, your skills are going to translate to a lot of things. Okay. The amount of different skills that you have to be a law enforcement officer are, it's extraordinary, truly. Yeah. And, and this can go for all first response, but the communication skills are huge, but you have to verbal able, judo. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. yeah. If you want to be a salesman, if you want to do real estate, if you want to, if you don't, if you don't want to people, maybe it's not too late to pick up a new skill. Maybe start woodworking, maybe start whatever it is. Like you have the capacity to Either take the skills that you do have and pivot them into another realm or pick up a new one. But you have to start to do the inner work, work on your nervous system, work on your mindset, understand why your body can't relax when you're just trying to sit at home and force yourself to relax. Learn how to manage relationships, learn how to, it's all of the inner work, but understand that everything you're experiencing is normal and natural for the human brain and body. Things can get really out of hand really quick when people leave law enforcement because, and I'll just use my example. I had adrenal fatigue for the entire month after I left full-time law enforcement, I slept for 16 hours a day. My body, I think I mentioned earlier, I had some chronic health issues. At 26 years old, I had to have my tonsils taken out. I had shingles twice before the time I was oh, 30. My awful. My immune system was like, girl, are we done yet? Get out. And you're going to experience some of that. And I think sometimes people mistake that recovery time as depression. And they're like, oh. I'm so depressed. Obviously, I need to get back into law enforcement. And so they're like, oh, no, I, what do I do? And so they try to get back in or they don't know what to do with themselves. And a lot of times what they're experiencing is a recovery period yeah. from being so hypervigilant for so long. So I think that's a very important piece of awareness. Um and definitely start talking to somebody because there's going to be a lot of stuff as you recover. As you recover, your body starts feeling safer little by little. Your mind is going to bring some stuff up for you that maybe you forgot about. And it's just peeling back the layers little by little and just be patient with yourself. I hear a lot of people say, after I left law enforcement, the phone stops ringing. Yeah. And suddenly you're out of the loop and suddenly people stop calling and you perceive that as people not caring. And I think it's really important to be okay with being out of the loop. And this 
Insta family that you got when you put the uniform on, it's probably they're gonna they're gonna fall back a little bit. And it, it's not necessarily it's not a you thing. It's not your fault, but they're busy. Right. They're still in the thick of it. They're still fighting everything and they're still in the grind. And so out of sight, out of mind kind of thing. And I think we would perceive that we're going to internalize it and make it our fault and say, if I wouldn't have left, then maybe they'd still give a shit. It's not like that. Yeah. You also have to understand you've taken away the one thing that you really had in common. And yeah. so when you're no longer in the trenches together, and you're not having the same experiences, it's not that you can't empathize or relate to it, yeah. but it's not current. So they're going to rely on people that are more current in the experience because we're going through it at the same time. And so I can see how that drop back would happen. At the same they're time, right. like it's okay to let things go and to move on and to do something different. And this is why... I, when I talk to people, I want you to realize the amount of skills that you actually have. Open up your training book and look through it. All the time that you spent in interview and interrogation, the different types of communication classes, the mental health classes. And although these things weren't necessarily geared towards police officers in terms of the mental health stuff, it was geared for you to help other people in that process. You're, you're smart enough and you're capable that you can reverse that a little bit and then see how you can use that information to help propel you someplace else or to help you navigate some of the things that you're experiencing. And so I found comfort in kind of going back through some of this stuff and reading through it and recognizing I have a lot of skills and capabilities. And then you add on top of that a master's degree and everything else. And it's I can use that to build social media. And I'm not saying go out and build social media. That's not what I'm saying. But... <laughs> Just that you're more capable than you realize. You just have to find out the language that if you're going to get another job and it's a corporate job, figure out the jargon and the language of that corporate job and then use your skills and insert it into that jargon. And you can use chat GPT to help you out with that. And <laughs> But, but I'm, it'll, I'm it'll break it down into corporate jargon. And then you're like, oh, okay, no, actually I can do that. And it gives yeah. you like this whole new experience of, wow, I actually have things that I can do. I'm telling you, I think, especially law enforcement, make some of the best entrepreneurs because yeah. every day, multiple times a day, you have to, you get some random voice on the other side of the radio says, go here for this reason. And you just show up and you figure it out. Right. And being able to do that multiple times a day like you can figure out how to start your own business if that's what you want to do, or you can figure out where you fit into an, another industry. But I think it's, again, being able to let go of that old identity. And I think people are like, okay, so what do I grab onto? Sometimes you have to just let your hands be open and see what falls into your lap. Because I'm telling you, when I left full-time law enforcement, I didn't have a plan. But it was like, let's life or death. A month later, a couple weeks later, actually, it, it, this advocacy job just fell into my lap. Hey, courthouse, same county. They're looking for a victim advocate. All you need is a degree. Done. It was five minutes down. It was just, and, and I'm not saying that's going to happen for everybody. And I'm not saying you got to wait around for the, for something to fall into your lap, but 
if you're still holding on to that old identity, your hands aren't open for other opportunities. Yeah. And holding on to that old identity, it, it can take a couple years to really let that go, especially for those who spent their entire life in that career path. And it's all you've ever really known. You don't necessarily know how to navigate the civilian world in that experience because all you've experienced is the government side and the political side and all of that. You might not have ever entered into a corporate structure or experienced what that looks like. And I can assure you that you are more capable and more competent than a lot of people that are out in the real world because of your resilience and your capabilities and your strength. And you just have to recognize that you have all of those things. Right. Yeah. And that's the key is taking a good, honest look at yourself and not looking for the faults, looking for your skills. And I, I actually do one of the steps in my one-on-one -on -one coaching is we do a personal constitution. Let's figure out who you are and do it on purpose. And one of the sections that my clients, all of them will tell you, one of the hardest things I have them do is to list out their skills that are not job related. And they're like, huh, <laughs> what? Like I can cook. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, there's something, right? Yeah. And I think that we have to look beyond that rigid identity that we've, that little box that we've put ourselves in. And that can be really hard. It's important. And it's, it's not just woo stuff. It's, you have to anchor yourself in something. And yeah. to be so disconnected that you don't know what you like, or you don't uh -huh. settle into and allow yourself to have those experiences. That's a huge part of figuring out your identity after the job. And it's, it's, it is, it's little things like that, like style. Yeah. And I have all, there's one page that's just fun stuff. What would your theme song be? What's, what's a tagline you would give yourself? Like that kind of stuff. And it's, I really encourage them to stay away from their occupation in this discovery of who they are, because it, 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 you're so much more than just this one dimension. You're a whole human and you can't just box yourself in like that because if that gets taken away, oh, how devastating. Yeah. Okay. I can't thank you enough for being here today and sharing all your knowledge and experience with us. Tell people how to reach you and how to work with you. Thank you very much for having me. Currently, I'm in the process of switching from one website to another. So the best place to find me is social media. I'm on TikTok and Instagram as AK Dizani. Book is Lifesaver Wellness and AK Dizani on LinkedIn. So those are the that's the easiest way to find me currently. Awesome. And you have a Friday high five newsletter. I do. Every what, is, what is that all about? <laughs> So it. every Friday I send out, it's, I, I've been keeping them into, in little themes. Last week was perfection was the theme, but they get an inspiring quote. I introduce some brain candy, something for their brain to taste, ruminate on something, a forward focus to implement reflection questions and a resource recommendation. So just something little little bit of something every week to keep you on track, keep you thinking and not falling into the grind and feeling like you're underwater all the time. So oh, something I to keep that. you connected. Yeah. 
for sure. And then you also have one-on-one coaching. Yes. Yes, I do. What does that look like? A one-on-one coaching program is a nine-week program and we do a deep dive. We go, we scuba dive. We are not ice skating on the surface and there's a lot of different processes that I use. But after that nine weeks, I don't just throw you to the wolves. You actually get an option to opt into my alumni group for continued support. They are all phenomenal. So everybody who has successfully gone through the nine weeks is in that group. And it is just at that point, it's just a lifetime membership. You're just in it. And then I also do agency trainings. I go to police departments, fire departments, and I train and then speak and do keynotes and conferences and things like that as well. How's the agency training going for you? What does that look like exactly? How'd you get into that? I have some connections with the state, but I submitted my curriculum. I'm in Ohio. So I submitted my curriculum to OPADA, which is the Ohio Peace Officer Training Commission or academies. And they have approved my curriculum for There's two sections, a two-hour and a four-hour sections for continuing professional training. So they get CPT hours for taking my course, and it's a beat the burnout with AK because we all know that officers are burning out at a an alarming rate. And so my goal is to get in there and teach them how they can advocate for themselves, empower themselves things that they can do without having to, and this is not to disconnect them from their agency, but without having to rely on their agency because yeah. some, sometimes that's that's a thing. And then I also, I go to fire departments and stuff too and teach them on about their own personal wellness and I do some suicide awareness and prevention training as well. That's amazing. Do you have plans to get it certified in other states? Not at the moment. I've I've looked at getting certified for post. The demand hasn't been huge. So normally when I'm traveling out of state, it's for conferences and they're not really worried about continuing at hours. We'll see. In the coming years, I still have a six-month-old at home. So in the coming years, I can see that happening. But at the moment, we're just moving slow and steady. <laughs> AK, thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate your time. Thank you for having me. This has been awesome. 